I'd like to kind of pick up where I left off in the last session, uh, talking about, for just a few moments, to begin with, talking about the enemy's attempts to take you out. Um, one of the dangers of, of being a Pentecostal pastor is a lot of things go on in your services you don't have much control over. There are times I envy my Baptist brothers. <laughs> we had a lady one Sunday, back in, oh goodness, uh, 1990s, somewhere, late 90s, we had a lady that, that wanted to prophesy about people getting rid of their credit cards. And I, she came to me beforehand and I said, you know, I, I don't doubt that that's an issue that God wants to address, but this is not, is not the time, there's not the service for that. So uh, she waited me out the first service, and I'm back to my study getting ready for the second service, and, and the usher comes and says, there's a, rip, there's a lady standing in front of the pulpit with a Bible and her arms folded facing the congregation. So I said to, I said to one of our senior adult pastors, and another pastor said, would you go get her out of there? And we'll delay starting the service. Uh, so the choir goes out, right? I go out. We're up there. She, they're still down there arguing with her. And so I I announced the song. We stood to sing the song. Uh, you know, not much worship going on. I just want to sing over the top of this. And so we start singing. I'm telling this story because some of you can identify with this. So we start singing, and pretty soon the two associate pastors are gone. She's still standing there. So now I'm ticked off. In the spirit, of course. <laughs> so I said to Rita, my wife was in the front row of the choir, said, come and take this hymn, or whatever it was. So she comes and takes over. I put like this close to her, and I said, you're not in the spirit, you're in the flesh, and you're going out with me right now. Well, what I forgot to say was, as I stepped down, her husband jumps up in the, in the audience and starts screaming, let her speak, let her speak. <laughs> See, you Baptists, you're really glad right now. <laughs> and uh, so two ushers helped him out. <laughs> but... As I'm helping this lady down the aisle, she's cursing me. She said, man didn't bring you in this church. No, God didn't bring you in this church. Man did, and a wasting disease will take you out. She repeated that all the way out. And you know that a year later, I don't know if this, how this comports with your theology, but a year later, I had some sort of liver disease and was sick as a dog. And suddenly I remembered that. And I called the elders to pray over me and anoint me. They came into the bedroom. And boy, I was I was totally restored in about a day. I'm, 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 not, I'm just telling you that story. That the enemy, especially if you have a heart after God, the enemy wants to take you out. And 2016 was one of those years I just told you about where where some of the some of the board uh, decided that it was time for me to to move on. And listen, you need to know, I mean, I'm 73, and I realize there'll come a time, and it may be soon, when I'm no longer effective. Uh, fortunately, like Pastor Lee, I've got a lot of young, he's not as old, near as old as I am, I've got a lot of young pastors all around, so that there's a young feel to the church, it's not just, you know, for, for old folks. And I'm blessed 
uh, we're seeing an influx of young couples right now and are having to expand our children's ministry. Uh, and, and one of the things that they tell me is we're missing fathers in the faith. Um, and so we're, we're here because you, you represent a father in the faith. And I, I don't feel like that, right? I feel like I'm still 40 years old. But, but I think that that's really important for us older folks in here to, to hear. Uh, so that enemy tried to take me out there. And, but then when that didn't succeed in 2019, in the fall of 2019, uh, I was riding a motorcycle with a friend down in Arizona coming up to the little town of Wickenburg. And uh, we'd gone up to Prescott for lunch. It was just an incredible interview, ridden or been in that part of the country. Incredible beauty with uh, two or three mountain passes between between Phoenix and, and, and Prescott. And we were having a grand time, had lunch up there, and we're coming back, and there's a couple of traffic circles before you get to before you get to Wickenburg, Wickenburg, and I don't remember a thing. The next thing I remember after entering the traffic circle is being in a, a helicopter, being airlifted to a, an emergency room in, in Phoenix because witnesses said that a semi was using the inside lane of that traffic circle to do, to do a U-turn, and he was going too fast and crossed into my lane. Didn't even see me, and apparently I laid the bike down and uh, and and woke up in a in in the in the, in the uh, helicopter. So just different things like that. Not not that any of us we don't need to be paranoid. But I just want to I just want to tell you the enemy wants to take you out. So I want to go back just quickly to that 2016 story, particularly for those of you who are pastors here, because when that Ethiopian pastor and he and I have stayed in contact ever since 2016, gracious. Man of God, uh, when we were sitting in, across from John Brediger's dining room table with him, uh, the Lord had sent him. If you were here in the last session, you heard me tell that story all the way from Fort Lauderdale. And the minute he started talking, brothers and sisters, I know you know this. You know it's the Lord, right? You know this is not just this is the Lord. Um, and so I grabbed my phone, and because I'm 73, I didn't have the smarts to go to a record function on here. I grabbed my phone and started taking notes. And to show you how humble this pastor, he said, I'm sore. Do you need to make a call? I said, no. The last thing in my mind, I just wanted to take notes. So I, I say that just so you I wrote everything down, he said. Okay? So this, is, this, this may be for some of you here today. You think you're at the end of your ministry, but you're not. You're at the beginning. There are much greater things ahead. You may feel tired now, but if you quit, you'll feel much worse than tired. God is going to show up, and the fire inside of you is going to break out. The fire has been inside of you for a long time, and the reason it's not broken out before is not your fault. Nobody, nobody but Rita knows the number of times in 2016 I walked into the house and I said, babe, it's going to be me. I mean, these guys on the board are right. There's no one else to point a finger at. It's, it's got to be me. It's my fault. I can't blame anybody else. And there wasn't anybody else to blame. And so nobody, I, only to read it did I say, it's my fault. Well, you can imagine when he said, the reason the fire is not broken out before now is not your fault. And the minute he said that, I, I just began to weep. 
And he got up and started walking around the dining room table, just repeating, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Until it got down inside him. Uh, there are a lot of people, many of whom have left, that haven't are resisting the fire. It's because they're too content, get this perspective from this Ethiopian pastor. It's because they're too content and have bought into a made in America kind of Christianity. I'm not to leave the church. Stand firm in your position. God is actually grieved. Pastors hear me. God is actually grieved over the pain I've been carrying. Over the pain you've been carrying. Right? When nobody sees. That maybe you and your family. And the burden sometimes feels like it's too great to bear. Right? I preach to other people the comfort of God. I preach to other people that God cares and I never took it to myself. And when he said, God is actually grieved over the pain you've been carrying. Wow, that wiped me out again. None of this. I need a prayer retreat right now. This is him speaking to me. For God to speak to me. He said, this is Pastor Monterey. He said he actually would love to take me to Uganda where he knows a group of intercessors at a retreat center who will gather around me and pray healing into me over several days for the disappointments that have left my heart callous. It's a retreat center where he goes for replenishing. Tell your wife that God is on her side and has seen the tears she cries for the people. And when she cries, pastor's spouses list, when she cries, she attracts the attention of heaven. You can see why I was impressed. This wasn't just, you know, again, speaking to Pentecostals. This wasn't some God loves you and yay, you're going to preach to millions, right? Amen. We've all had that. (laughs) He sees Rita like a waterfall. When she worships, refreshing comes to men. Even though she's not the worship leader anymore, she's still a worshiper. And that nothing will be able to withstand the two of you together. From now onwards, when I see and hear things, I'm not to doubt. It's God speaking to me, and I'm just to obey. Um, I always struggle with that, right? I don't, I'm, I don't think I've ever been a person that when they've heard from the Lord can say 100%. This is God. There have been a couple of, I mean, this was one of those, right? But, but especially when I just hear the voice of God, there's always an element in me of, uh, maybe that was just me, right? I have people within my circle who are draining me. And God's going to put words in your mouth that will either remove them or bring judgment on them. Here's this, remember this is 2016. Things are going to get far worse in this country and at a speed none of us would have imagined. And false ministers and false ministries will not survive. And then again, he will finish with, it's hard for these words to even find a landing place in your heart right now because disappointments and hurts need to be healed in the presence of God and you need to be surrounded by people of faith. Uh, I think you can see why um, that reignited a fire in me that had gone out. And uh, 
I just pray that that those words, even maybe they they weren't quite as specifically directed to you as they were to me, I pray that they'll find a landing place for those of you who are weary and have been at this thing for a long time and have not seen quite the fruit you would love to see. And I, I think God sent me here through this message to say to you, God's not finished with you. The end is not in sight. Some of the greater days are still ahead. I firmly believe that there is a revival. I heard one of the one of our famous American pastors on TV saying the other day that that you know he's got. And I love him. I won't mention his name, and I hope you can't guess who it is. But but he's got his eschatology so buttoned down that he's convinced that there's no place in prophecy that he sees America mentioned, which in part in part is true. But but can I just say I know I'm with pastors and scholars here. Uh, whoever has figured out who God and Magog is, that, that some people have got it all sorted out. But one of the parishioners came to me the other day. Uh, there's a young, there's a church in, in Snohomish nearby us that's doing exceptionally well, on fire church. The pastor is legit. He's in his 30s. So it's a great church, right? But this parishioner said to me, you know, so-and-so is, is preaching a, a series in Revelation. I think you should too. I said, yeah, I preached a series in Revelation back when I was in my 30s also. <laughs> I had it all figured out. Well, this guy's got it all figured out. And in his mind, America is on the decline, and and our current administration is there to see to it that America is going down, and we're done. And he, I saw on television somebody questioning, how do you feel about being a pastor in this country that's going down? And he said, well, uh, you know, it's, it, 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 he knows it's hard because he loves this country, but if it's part of God's prophetic plan... Then, then so be it. Well, I'm not willing to say so be it. I'm not willing to believe that God has done with this. Seriously, for all the ill that goes on here, for all the bad things that we can all point to that still need correcting, there's no country in the nation, in the world right now, that helps people like this country does and that reaches out to people and that gets the gospel out there. Uh, I don't think God is done with this country. I, I sense down in my heart that the revival comes. So, for those of you tempted to throw in the towel, I want to. I want to. Uh, I want to share this message. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Second Kings chapter thirteen and chapter fourteen. Second Kings thirteen and fourteen. I'm going to try my best not to be very tied to my notes because I, I want to be able to convey this the way it's in my heart. Israel, by the time we get to 2 Kings 13 and 14, Israel is in a mess. Can I just digress for a moment? Um, and Rita's not here to help me get back on track if I, if I forget where I was. But, um, I love going to Israel. And, and one of the things that I places I love the most about Israel is going to the ruins of the city of Dan, which is all the way up in the north. And if you've ever been there, uh, Dan is an amazing city because before it became known as Dan, in the book of Judges, it was known as Laish, and it was literally where Abraham, and they uncovered the earthen brick 
uh, entry to ancient Dan where Abraham negotiated with the five kings for Lot's release. Uh, so it's just amazing to stand here. But, but on another level of the ruins is the temple that, that Jeroboam built uh, and the altar for the golden calf. It still is intact. They've actually got an outline in the bricks. The, the stones are still there. Uh, obviously, the, the golden calf is gone. But, but I, I love going there and I love taking people from our church there. Uh, and I, I'm not a pessimist, even though I may be sort of a little prophetic by nature, but I love looking and I get choked up every time I'm there with the people because I say, what you're looking at here, can you imagine the glory of God that rested between the cherubim uh, over the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies? Can you imagine when Solomon first dedicated the temple? Can you imagine what it was like when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back the right way? And every few steps they stopped and offered sacrifices. And when it was ensconced in the, in the tent first, and then when Solomon put it in the temple, and, and the glory of the Lord came down so much that the priests couldn't even stand upright to minister. Can you imagine what that was like? And the glory of God and the fact that God chose Jerusalem at that point to be the place where his presence rested and where he would meet with his people. What an incredible and awesome privilege. And then to stand at the temple up in Dan that Jeroboam built as a place of convenience. Don't go all the way to Jerusalem. Just, you just It's really easy. Just go here. Don't, don't worry about all the regulations. We've got a golden calf for you. Don't worry about the fact that the cloud's missing. We've got a golden calf for you to worship them on. And when I stand there at, at, at Jeroboam's temple in Dan, in my heart I see the American church. In fact, one of the Psalms, God through David says, I can't believe that you given up my glory in exchange of a, for an image of a calf that eats grass. And I'm not negative on the American church. You may see a much brighter version of it here in the South than we see in the Pacific Northwest. But there was a huge church planted in Seattle about 15 years ago. It no longer exists. But when they sent out their card promoing the launch of this church, the caption, I wish I'd kept the card just to carry it around and show people. The caption said, give us 35 minutes, we'll give you God. Oh my God. And then the fine print said, for busy people with important things to do on the weekend. And the church packed out. They were running 13,000 before you could say anything. And then the senior pastor about eight eight or nine years later, gave up innovative methodology for innovative theology and started marrying gay people. And the church emptied out. I think we're in such danger in this country. My great fear, my suspicion that maybe the judgment is not quite over. And I'm not saying COVID was a judgment from God, but certainly he intends what the animal enemy wants for evil. He intends to use it for good. And the good is to bring an awakening to all shakes. So Israel's in a mess in Second Kings chapter 13. 
And the man of God, Elisha, is in his 80s. By the time you get to 2 Kings, 2 Kings 13, Elisha has been noticeably absent from the life of Israel. His ministering years as a prophet have been significantly longer than those of his mentor, Elijah, whom God, if you remember, took up in the, in the whirlwind. But Elisha's been left by God in Israel to minister into his old age. And don't, don't read into that that I'm, this is all about me. Uh, uh, but I'm just, I'm just saying that there's a reason that you're in pastoral ministry. That there's a reason God has left you, called you where he's called you, and he's left you where he's left you. is because there's still work to be done. In fact, we learn in the story that Elisha is sick, is struggling with a sickness that eventually takes his life. So he's on his deathbed, and the unthinkable happens. A king comes to visit the prophet. That never happened before that I'm aware of. In scripture, usually the prophet visits the king. Usually the king, like Ahab, is saying, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? So it's usually the other way around, right? But somehow Jehoash, this apostate king, has, has gotten the presence of mind in the middle of the crisis that Israel is in. Crisis because the Arameans are attacking randomly. Israel and marauding, taking their harvests at appropriate times, leaving them desolate. And in a rare moment of vulnerability, the king goes to the prophet. And he's weeping over the condition he finds the prophet in. And he says these words. Uh, he says, my father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And this apostate king has the presence of mind in the, when he gets in the presence of God in Elisha. This apostate king has the presence of mind to recognize that his armies are not going to do the trick. And his borders are not going to do the trick. And, and his people are not going to do the trick. The only thing that's going to save Israel at this point is an encounter with the living God. And at this point, to our best knowledge, the only prophet left, although there were still possibly schools of prophets dotted around, and I don't know what you think about those or what you've heard, but what I've read about the schools of the prophets is not that they were necessarily groups of people learning how to prophesy, as much as they were groups of holy people that wanted to serve the Lord properly and, and God preserved those clusters of people. Yes. And for their own preservation, they hung together in places yes. like in Gilgal and, and Jericho and other places we learn of when, when Elijah gets ready to leave Elisha. So when he gets to, to, uh, to, to see Elisha on his deathbed and realizes that Elisha is on his way out, he weeps over him. In fact, the King James on verse 14 says, he wept over Elisha's face. You've got to be in proximity, right, to weep over somebody's face. So he bent over the man of God lying on his deathbed, and he weeps over him. And then, something stirs in the man of God. He gets some strength, chapter 13, verse 15. And he gets up out of his deathbed to 
call God in one more prophetic word and prophetic act. And that's what I'm hoping to do for any of you here today that are ready to quit or feel like you've been going long enough and you're tired of taking one more step or one more action. I, I want to just, I'm not on my deathbed, but I want to come up out of Seattle, which is kind of like living in a deathbed. And, and, and I, I want to just say, I want to say to you, God has stirred me and your pastor so graciously. I'm just a pastor in the Northwest. I don't do big conferences. I'm not sought after or anything like that. Uh, but to, for me to come all the way from Seattle, just to be stirred in my own heart towards you. God is stirring me right now towards you. And he says to this apostate king, get a bow and some arrows. Verse 15, and the king did as he was told. Then he says to the king, I should have asked for a bow as well, I'm sure whoever got me these arrows did. Then, then Then he says to the king, put your hand on the bow. And the king draws the bow and gets the arrow in its place. And then I love this. Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. There's a, let me give this, let me take some liberty with the text here. Uh, child of God, prophet of God, minister of God. There's an anointing of the Holy Spirit that he has for his servants in these last days. And if you'll just pick up the bow one more time and put an arrow in the bow, you'll find the hands of the living God coming And when his hands are around yours, that bow becomes a supernatural bow. And when his hands are around yours, that arrow becomes a supernatural arrow that can take enemy out at any distance. But you've got to invite him. Put his hands, God put your hands around. Then the prophet says, uh, open that eastern window. And Elisha says, shoot! So the king shot an arrow. And Elisha, this is where I get this from. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow. Yes. It may look ordinary. You may feel ordinary. You have no idea how ordinary I feel. When Pastor Simla occasionally has me go preach from a Brooklyn Tabernacle, I tell the Lord all the time, would you let somebody else do this? Because I, uh, I mean, he has all of the great speakers, and I'm not saying that they're into a greatness, but that all the speakers he has in Brooklyn Tavern. Then they got little old me from Seattle, and I feel so apologetic every time I feel like saying, hey, and whenever you get up to preach at Brooklyn Tab, they will say, they do this in every service. How many of you are pre-COVID? How many of you are visiting from outside? Oh, you're from Missouri. God bless you. Oh, you're from England. God bless you. You're from Germany. I know why they're there. They're here to your pastor Simula. Right. And then they say, we have a guest speaker from Seattle. <laughs> oh, brother, I just soon go someplace else. <laughs> An ordinary arrow. And one of the enemy's jobs is to make you continue to feel ordinary. But this is no ordinary arrow. This is the, this is the Lord's arrow. You are the Lord's arrow. Praise God. And it's the arrow of victory. And after the king shoots this arrow out the eastern window, which was the direction, general direction of the Arameans. So no no physical enemy in sight, just the direction of the enemy. But that arrow was powerful. Even though there was no specific enemy to shoot at. 
Listen, there are strongholds of darkness that have this nation in its grip that will only come down by the power of the Holy Spirit and every one of us being the arrow in God's quiver and in God's, God's bow shot against the enemy. It doesn't have to be a targeted enemy. The Word says our battle is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers of darkness. It's not the people in Olympia that are the problem in the state of Washington. It's powers of darkness that these people have given a foothold for. And the only way to dislodge them is that the people of God will get in the power of the Spirit and begin to beat the arrow. It was a prophetic action. I want to add to just a thought that I do believe there are prophetic words but prophetic actions. And I think there are some times that God calls us to act and to be the action even when it doesn't necessarily make sense because He's going to imbue that action and you with the power of His Holy Spirit. Dr. Ricky Moore, who's become a close friend of mine from Lee University, and his old, he's an Old Testament professor, and whenever I stumble onto an Old Testament passage that doesn't make sense, I will write him an email, and I've kept, I have a whole folder on my computer with just Dr. Ricky Moore responses. And he talks about this passage in the Old Testament. And he said what was released in the shooting of that arrow was, quote, the untamed and untamable wind of the Spirit blowing where He desires. I want to say to you, victory's on the way. And the word that Dr. Moore unpacks, if you're interested in some of his writings, I think I can... He's, with his permission, I think I can uh, give me your email address, and I will, I will, um, I will send you the articles that I have of his, where he looks at the Old Testament prophet. That the Old Testament prophet is first of all a messenger of God with the word of the Lord. Secondly, the Old Testament prophet is a minstrel, because a lot of times the word of God is sung or it's in poetic form and lands. That's why they tell us that in a, in a revolution, the first people they go after are the poets or the, or the minstrels because they're the ones that mobilize the army of God. So the prophet is a minstrel. And then thirdly, the prophet is a madman. How many times in the Old Testament are, are you, do, do you not read your, about Hosea? You're mad. Right. You're mad. Right? I'm not saying you've got to necessarily go out and do anything bizarre to earn that label, but, but, but if you start serving God seriously, someone's going to question at some point your sanity. And then lastly, you're, the, the prophet is a martyr. Very often they have to lay their lives down for the word of God. But God is raising up men and women who will be under a prophetic mantle. Don't worry about any titles. I don't care so much about titles of a prophet. Um, uh, uh, but he wants to raise you up in your ministry with a prophetic mantle so that with God's arms wrapped around you in the pulpit and in your ministry you become a prophetic action by yourself you become a prophetic action under the hands of God now that word that devar oh by the way sorry the Hebrew word Dr. Moore unpacks is the word devar there are several words used for the word word translated word in the English Bible but when it says the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah or the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel 
There's a unique Hebrew word that is used there. That's the word devar, D-A-V-A-R. And, and Dr. Dr. Moore says, usually a word is the communication or the transmission of information. He said a devar is a quantum of transformation. Because it carries with it the power of God to fulfill the word. When I learned about this first, I'd written to him about a question I had in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel is standing in Babylon and he's prophesying over Pharaoh and he's prophesying over this nation and that nation. And there's no indication that the prophecy was mailed, was couriered to those kings and no, no indication that Elijah was ever in those nations. And I said to Dr. Moore, what's the power how can, a, how can a word from the Lord be spoken by one prophet standing by the Kibar River in Babylon and have it affect uh, Pharaoh or Egypt or another nation? He said it doesn't need to be couriered or transmitted because the word of God has a power that transcends boundaries and national that's why I believe we can pray prophetically over the Ukraine and prophetically over Putin and what's happening in Russia right now and have an effect there. It yes. doesn't, it's like we came to the end of a, one of our prayer meetings the other day. It had been a powerful prayer meeting and my brother-in-law, Pastor Bill, was sitting right down there. He didn't even say it for my benefit, but I grabbed onto it. Because as we're closing the prayer meeting, he says under his breath, this matters. This matters. Let that get down in your heart to this matters. I don't mean this, but you, God, God's work in you matters. Your intercession matters. This matters. How the enemy would like us to think that we're just offering kind thoughts up into the cosmos that don't land and don't do anything. No, if the word of the Lord from Ezekiel in Babylon can make a difference in Egypt, then the word of the Lord through you matters. I'm not trying to flatter you today when I say you matter. You matter. Doesn't matter how old you are. You don't have to be old. See some of the precious young people over here, pastors' own family. You don't have to be old. The word of the Lord through you matters. But the word of the Lord wasn't over. Here's, here's, here's where I'd like to here's where I'd like to sort of bring this in for a landing. The word of the Lord wasn't over. The king was had to have been excited. He's going to win the battle with the Arameans. Great, so excited. Got what he came for. I think this is what happens with a lot of people that jump from one sort of new thing to the other new thing, one special meeting to the other special meeting, just looking for what's next and what's exciting. And so the king, obviously, by what by the actions of the next few verses, the king obviously felt like uh, he's in the presence of victory. The word of the Lord has been victory for him over the Arameans. And, um, and what more is there to do? However, the man of God, Elisha, was not over. And he said to the king in verse 18a, he said, now pick up the arrows. The word of the Lord's not over. God's not done with you. Even if you've had a season of great blessing and great anointing and success in your ministry, God's not done. We can't just go home and say, oh, that was great. Pick up the arrows that are in your hand. You already shot one out the window with great effect. What could God possibly, what would he want to do? What could he do? 
What's in his capacity? What is in his capacity to do? If you'll pick up the rest of your arrows. So pick up the arrows. Elisha tells King Jehoash. And he says, now strike them to the ground. So the king picked up the arrows and apparently, somewhat nonchalantly, one, kind of like going to a premium, been to lots of premiums, to kind of like dipping in the Jordan River when you've got leprosy, been down four times, why five? Why six? Why one more? Seems like God is always looking for a sense of determination in us, even though we may need the encouraging word from time to time to keep going. Because everything in us sometimes, and sometimes people around us say, no, this is time to throw in the towel. It's not working. Whatever you're doing is not working. You struck the arrows once, twice, three times, and then he puts the arrows down. The man of God was angry, verse 19. And said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram until you would have destroyed it. But now you shall strike Aram only three times. The footnote in my study Bible says this. The moderately enthusiastic response to Elisha's directive reflected insufficient zeal for accomplishing the announced task. And that sends cold water down my back. The moderately enthusiastic response to Elisha's directive reflected insufficient zeal for accomplishing the announced task. And Israel missed the victory and the enemy had their way. Saints, we're in the balances right now. I'm encouraged by the fact that there seems to be a greater prayer movement in America now than ever before. I'm encouraged by the numbers of churches. When we started talking about revival with Church Awakening in 2015, it honestly, it was like even pastors would come and argue with me. You won't find the word revival in the New Testament. Uh, so why should we be looking for revival? We have everything we need in the time of the New Testament. We don't need revival. And I would say to them, have you ever read Jesus' letter to Ephesus? That if they didn't have revival, he was going to jerk the lamp out of their lampstand? No, and that was just 90 years after the church was planted. And they needed reviving the church in America desperately needs revival. And what America needs more than it needs Republicans in the White House or the, or the State House or what America needs is a church on fire from God. Right yeah. And with the arrows of God in their hands striking the ground. I said to Westgate years ago when I shared this message with him, I don't know why Jehoash is instilled in Elisha's house smacking the arrows to the ground if he'd have known that it would bring his perseverance in faith, in that prophetic word would bring deliverance. He would still be hitting the ground with the arrows. But he was, didn't have the zeal necessary. Oh God. Oh God, infuse old and young alike in this country. Oh God, infuse you, dear pastor, servant of the Lord, where you're serving. Infuse you with a level of perseverance that will bring you through the enemy's accusations, 
bring you through discouragements, bring you through the people in your church that you think you should just throw in the towel, bring you through your motorcycle accidents, whatever, whatever comes to sudden say, no, I'm by God's grace, I'm going to keep going until Jesus comes and pours out his spirit or calls me home, whichever comes first, I'm going to keep going because I got the arrows of God in my head. The enemy's in sight and we're not going to stop until we come in. Amen. God bless you.